from wherever you are around the world, we are glad you're here and we are family. You know, uh, what a great experience it was last week in, uh, right after worship when we welcomed six new people to the Christchurch family. Isn't it awesome that even in the midst of a pandemic, uh, your church is growing and reaching out in love and concern to the world? What a privilege to be a part of a church like that. Now, immediately after worship, we're going to be having communion today, so make sure you have your communion elements ready to go, and we will share in the Lord's table together. Well, today we're on week number three, week number three of our series, The Last 24. You know what we're doing, right? We're looking at the last 24 hours of Jesus' life, the last 24 hours of His life. And today, what we see is incredibly disturbing. It is that Jesus is being condemned by the very people who ought to recognize the Messiah in their midst, but yet they condemned him. We're going to be looking at the, the Gospel of Mark chapter 14, some selected verses there beginning with 53. It's on your outline. If you haven't downloaded that, feel free to do so, but you can follow right along on the screen. Here it is, the Gospel of Mark. It says, they took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and elders and teachers of the law came together. The chief priests and uh, the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they didn't find any. Many uh, testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am Jesus, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him and struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you're one of them, for you're a Galilean. He began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word, of Je the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. So this is God's word for us, and we are 
God's people. You know, right now, it's after midnight. It's in the wee, wee, wee hours of early Friday morning. And uh, most of Jerusalem was already asleep, having had their Passover celebrations. The betrayer, Judas, he had already made his way to the Mount of Olives and gave Jesus the kiss of death. Then the guards, well, they moved into action. They bound Jesus, hand and feet, and began to walk toward the city walls, to the, toward the gate. In fact, we'll see the map right here. Let's go ahead and put it up. So, our map, we have the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was betrayed when he went to pray with uh, the disciples. But remember last week we said they, they had fallen asleep. So they bound hand and feet. The guards took him uh, toward, the, toward the beautiful gate, but curved down through the Kidron Valley, over by the lower city, up into the upper city to where the house of Caiaphas is located, not far at all from the upper room that we were talking about last week. So as I said, let's go to the next picture. He passed by the beautiful gate. Here's the beautiful gate over here on uh, this side. He was coming in this way, passing by the beautiful gate, the gate that the prophet Ezekiel reminds us that one day the Messiah would enter. You know, as he as he walked through uh, toward the gate, he came down through the Kidron Valley. He passed the, the many tombs of the priests and the prophets that, uh, of their faith from long ago, passing through from the Mount of Olives down here through the Kidron Valley. And isn't it fascinating that this valley is also referred to the Valley of the Last Judgment. And on that night... Bound hand and feet, the guards pulling him and pushing him, Jesus passed through the valley of the last judgment on his way to judgment that night. Finally, they reached the lower city and they came to a, a long flight of stairs from the lower city to the upper city. These stone stairs actually exist right now. I took this picture myself when, uh, when I was in, uh, in the Holy Land. These would have been the steps that Jesus walked up, bound hand and foot from the very bottom of the lower city up here to where the house of Caiaphas once stood. You can even see a close-up picture of that, and I can imagine he must have been scared to death as he walked up those stairs knowing what was about to happen to him. Today, where the house of, uh, house of Caiaphas once stood is a church called St. Peter's Church right here. In fact, in the courtyard of this church built on the remains of the house of Caiaphas, you find a statue. And on that statue, you find Peter here in the front uh, and the servant girl and the, and the uh, Roman centurion and uh, uh, someone uh, related to uh, 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 the house of Caiaphas. And you have Peter denying 
three times that he ever knew Jesus. And look what's up at the top. There on top of the pedestal, you have the rooster that crowed three times. You know, below, once the once they got Jesus up those long flight of stairs, although the scripture doesn't mention this, what has been found there is a stone cell. Here's the, the entrance. It was through the roof. They would lower you through the, through the hole in the top of the roof where there would be no way out and no other way in. Very clearly, Jesus was held in this space right there under the house of Caiaphas while the Sanhedrin was busy upstairs plotting his death and his demise. You can, cannot help but wonder if the words of Psalm 88 went through Jesus' mind when he was down there in that, that, that uh, stone-cold cell. Listen to these words. O Lord God, my Savior, I cry out to you during the day and at night. Let my prayer come into your presence. Turn your ear to hear my cries. My soul is filled with troubles, and my life comes closer to the grave. I am numbered with those who go into the pit. I kind of imagine Jesus listening to the, to the hubbub and all the voices going on upstairs, probably thinking of those words in the psalm. I am numbered among those who go down into the pit. You know, John tells us, the Gospel of John tells us in his Gospel that uh, the first figure of authority to uh, meet Jesus was Annas, who was the former high priest. Annas, the former high priest. And he was the father-in-law of the current high priest, who was Caiaphas. So it's Caiaphas's father-in-law. The former high priest, his name was Annas. He was the first one to meet Jesus when he got up there to Caiaphas's house. And the scriptures say that Caiaphas began to, to question him about his followers and what he had taught them. And Jesus replied to to Caiaphas, we have this recorded in the Gospel of John uh, 18, says this, Jesus said, everyone knows what I teach. I preach regularly in the synagogue and in the temple where the people gather. I have not spoken in secret. Why are you asking me this question? Ask those who hear me. They know what I said. Then one of the temple guards standing nearby slapped Jesus across the face. Is that any way to answer the high priest, he demanded? And Jesus replied, If I said anything wrong, prove it. But if I'm speaking truth, why are you beating me? Then Annas bound Jesus and sent him to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, let me ask you this question. Why do you think Annas was so interested in questioning Jesus? Why do you think the former high priest would have been so interested in questioning him? Well, 
You may remember, here's something you probably do not know, but you may remember that on Monday of Holy Week, that would have been just five days earlier, Jesus made his way to the temple. And he saw what amounted to uh, having his temple being turned into Jerusalem's largest flea market. And Jesus, Jesus was incredibly distraught. He was upset. And what he did was he began to turn over the tables there in the temple, and he ran the merchants off. Well, guess what? Guess who was in charge of this Jerusalem's largest flea market? Guess who was in charge of what was happening there at the temple? It was Annas, the high priest. He was in charge of the entire operation. And you know what else? This whole thing that was going on there at the temple with the buying and the selling of the sacrifices, it was all a scam. And you say, well, how do you know that, Pastor John? Well, let me tell you what was going on at that time. You see, the merchants there were selling the sacrificial animals. Most likely, they, it, most of the sacrifices were, uh, were sacrificial birds. And these birds had to be completely without splot spot or blemish. But here's the deal. Outside of the temple walls, you could buy these sacrificial doves for what amounted to approximately one nickel. You could buy the doves outside the temple walls for about a nickel. And you say, well, what's the big deal? Why can't people just buy their stuff outside? Well, here's the problem. On the inside, the, the priests in this entire operation run by Annas, the father-in-law of the current high priest Caiaphas, the one we were just talking about, running that whole operation, was selling the exact same doves for 75 cents. And so what you could get on the outside was for a nickel. What you would buy on the inside was 75 cents. And you say, well, why not just buy on the outside? Here's the thing. Because every priest, before they could offer the, the, the sacrificial animal uh, to forgive your sins, they had to inspect it and approve that it was without spot or blemish. Well, guess what? They approved all the animals that were sold for the equivalent of 75 cents inside the temple. But they would reject the animal's that were brought in from outside the temple. So, what a convenient way to make money from the high priest, selling forgiveness on the backs of the poor. What a sham all of that was. And you know what? Jesus was disrupting Annas the high priest's gold mine. He was disrupting their business when he came in there and overturned the table. And for this reason, Annas had a vested interest in getting rid of Jesus. He wanted Jesus gone. So Annas quickly sends Jesus off to the current high priest, his son-in-law named Caiaphas. Here's a scripture here. So they took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, elders, and teachers of the law came together. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they didn't find any. 
Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him as worthy of death. And then some began to spit at him, blindfolded him, and struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. Now, before we go on, we need to talk about a couple of things that were happening right here. You know, you've probably heard me say, I, I imagine you had, if you've been here at Christ Church for any length of time, I tell you over and over that the trials that they put Jesus under were illegal. They convicted him in a kangaroo court, and they did it against their own laws. That's what the Sanhedrin did. Against their own laws, they convicted Jesus as worthy of death. And I want to tell, I've told you that was illegal, but now I want to tell you why it was illegal. Here's the first thing. The Jewish law prohibited any legal proceedings to be held at night. Let me ask you a question. When was Jesus arrested? At night. Further, the law required that all capital offenses must be tried during the day. When did the Sanhedrin meet? Overnight. Overnight, after midnight. Here's what the Jewish law also said, making it illegal, by the way. It says this, an accused man must never be subjected to private or secret examination. What about what Annas did, the former high priest? He was the very one who met Jesus there and began to ask him and question him in private. Once again, it was illegal. The indictment against Jesus was illegal because the law stated that the entire criminal procedure of the Mosaic Code rests upon four rules. Here's the first rule. Certainty in the indictment. You must be certain. Two, publicity in the discussion. This was not published. It was completely, uh, the, the trials were completely undercover and under the cover of nightfall, which again was illegal. Full freedom granted to the accused. There was no full freedom granted to Jesus. And the fourth pillar of the Mosaic Code was assurance against all dangers of error or testimony. You heard me read just a moment ago in the scripture where the witnesses gave false testimony and then they began to bring evidence against Jesus and their statements did not agree. And even so, what did they do? They condemned him worthy of death. Here's another one. Jewish law stated that the Sanhedrin must not convene until after the morning sacrifices. Once again, when did it convene? In the middle of the night. Once again, 
illegal, breaking their own laws. Jewish law stated that the Sanhedrin must not convene on the eve of the Sabbath or on any holy day. All right, they broke it again. It was a holy time. It was during Passover. Remember, it was during the Passover celebration. Again, making this illegal. And finally, the Jewish law stated that the one accused of capital offenses could not be tried and convicted on the same day. In other words, one full night must pass after the trial before a verdict could be given. Jesus was arrested, tried, and convicted within just a few hours. Once again, illegal. I want you to think about this for a moment. We're talking about the Sanhedrin here. They were the Jewish religious leaders. They were, they were the ones who were, who were charged with guarding the faith. These are the Jewish religious leaders, the Jewish Supreme Court, and they broke every one of those rules in order con to condemn an innocent man. They broke every rule to try, convict, and pronounce a death sentence to Jesus, and that simply points to the urgency that they believed that Jesus needed to be done away with. I mean, do you see the irony in all of this right here? It wasn't the sinners, quote-unquote, that arrested Jesus when he walked among us. They arrested him, tried him, and sought to kill him. The ones who did all of that were the most religious, the most pious people on the face of the earth at that time. The God that they claimed, the God that they claimed to serve walked among them and they couldn't see him. The God who they claimed to serve, who they claimed to worship, the God that they dedicated their life to was present with them in the flesh, and they could not see him. They were blinded by their love of power. They were blinded by their fear of losing it. And they were willing to do anything to stop that from happening. You see the irony in all of this? That the very people that you would expect to recognize them instead arrested him under the cloak of darkness and brought him to trial. And they put God on trial for blasphemy. You know, folks, Jesus' testimony that he was, in fact, the Messiah it just outraged them. And they found him guilty and worthy of death on the charge of blasphemy. Do you see the irony in this? He was charged for blasphemy against himself. And then what did they do? They spit at him. They blindfolded him and then began to punch him with their fists and shout, hey, you uh, uh, Messiah, you prophesy. 
And then they turn him over to the guards and beat him all over again. And so the question you and I have got to deal with is, how could something like this happen? How could 71 righteous men dedicated to God do what they did? How could that be? How could they condemn an innocent man to death? I mean, even if they believed that he was a false messiah, why would these pious religious leaders, these pillars of the community, spit on him, blindfold him, and then punch him in the face with their fists? Why would this happen? Well, I'll tell you why I think it happened. It has to do with this right here. It's all about fear. That's what this is about, folks. This was all about fear. These men saw Jesus as a threat, a threat to their way of life, a threat to their positions of authority, threats to their status among the Jewish people. They saw Jesus as a threat. They saw the fact that he had crowds of people flocking to him. They saw him uh, cast out demons and, and heal the sick. And as far as these religious leaders were concerned, Jesus was a threat to the social fabric of the nation. It's all about fear. That's what this is all about. Folks, listen to me. Every last one of us is born afraid. We are. It's a God-given gift that he gives to us for self-preservation. In dangerous, life-threatening situations, fear is a pretty good quality to have. Because there are times when we need to, to, to fight, to work, and to expend energy in order to protect ourselves. And there is also a time to run. You see, when you're when your self-preservation instinct meets up with your sin instinct, then we human beings can do the unthinkable. When our self-preservation instinct meets up with our sin instinct, we can do the unthinkable. You know, there's something in all of us that's broken. We all have this bent to do the wrong thing, to twist and misuse and distort what was meant for good. And you know, you and I know how to do just that. You know, fear. In the, back in 1692, the fear of witches caused, caused the Massachusetts colony to execute 20 innocent people. For fear. Fear of equality divided our nation and caused a war to be fought, resulting, listen to this, in more than 625,000 deaths. Fear. Fear is what gave rise to the Holocaust. Folks, we, we've got to be aware of the power of fear and must never forget the lessons of our history. For all of us, if we let our love become overshadowed, our call to love become overshadowed by our innate fear, we are capable of doing unthinkable things. 
So let me ask you this question. This is one that haunts me greatly. Would you have been willing, or excuse me, would you have been among those who out of fear and insecurity and the, and the hate of those feelings breed, would you have found Jesus guilty and worthy of death? Would you have found him guilty and worthy of death simply out of your own fear? You know, I'm afraid that for most of us and many of us, the answer would probably be yes. I mean, why didn't someone in the, in the Sanhedrin speak up? Certainly there must have been someone there who, who recognized that they were condemning an innocent man, but nobody did speak up. I mean, how many times have you known that something was wrong and yet you went along with the group anyway out of fear? I'm not, I'm not talking about pointing out the sins of others. That's, that's not courageous. That's simply obnoxious. I'm talking about when did you speak up? When did you speak up when you knew something was wrong? even though you were in the midst of a group. Yeah, I'm talking about the times that you were part of a group to do something that was clearly wrong when you've seen an injustice done to someone and all it would have taken is if one, just one person would speak up and say, you know what, we need to reconsider this. It's not right. What would have happened if just one or two religious leaders had the guts to speak up in front of the Sanhedrin. How might this have been different? You know, Edmund Burke is the one who said, all that's necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. You know, in, in 33 AD, there was a mockery of justice that was done. An innocent man died. Fear reigned. Evil triumphed because good people and righteous people and religious people did absolutely nothing. And so as followers of Jesus, may we not wallow in fear and allow evil to triumph because we're silent. Let's pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come together in prayer acknowledging that you are God. And we absolutely know, Lord, that it's far easier. It is far easier to think that we'll do something to prevent an injustice rather than actually standing up and doing it. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray for courage to do the right thing. We are astounded that 71 pious, godly men would have condemned an innocent man to death and even do it breaking their own laws one after the other, after the other, after the other. And still no one said a thing. We pray, Lord, that we may be different that we would do the right thing. 
that we would speak up when we see it. And that we would find ourselves aligned with you. So come Lord Jesus right now. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. And give us courage to stand for that which is right. We love you and praise you, Lord. We give you honor and glory, Lord, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we pray all this in the name of the Holy One, the Messiah, Jesus himself. Amen.